Welcome to Better Food Stories, a show that celebrates real food and the people and companies who make it. I'm Audrea Greenhoff, and in this interview series, I'm sitting down with the entrepreneurs behind some of today's newest and most innovative food brands out there to find out what it really takes to make it in this highly competitive space. On today's episode, I'm excited to introduce you to Alex Nielsen of Ritual Energy, a natural and portable energy snack with the same caffeine as a whole cup of coffee. Yes, you heard that right. The same caffeine as a whole cup of coffee in a snack bar. In this conversation, Alex and I chat all things caffeine, coffee, energy bars, and how his passion for clean eating led him to start this company. If you love discovering new healthy snacks, you're really going to love Ritual Energy. And I think Alex was a great interview. We had so much fun chatting, and I'm really excited to share this interview with you. So without further ado, here is Alex Nielsen of Ritual Energy. So why don't we dive right into it? And Alex, why don't you start by telling me and our listeners a little bit about who you are and what your company, Ritual Energy, is all about? Sure. I will just preface the who you are question is probably one of my least favorite questions ever. I just, (laughs) I hate talking about myself, but (laughs) I guess a little bit of background about me. Um, I guess you could say grew up in a really busy household. I've got a twin sister, very sort of business-minded parents, and a lot of, I guess, grew up in a surrounding of go, go, go. And this kind of plays into what Ritual Energy is about. Um, But I think growing up, food for me at one point in time wasn't, I guess, it wasn't that huge of a priority for my family. It was a lot about going to school, getting stuff done. Um, And then it was only until maybe middle school or going into high school that we realized the importance of health, fitness, your diet, what you put in your body actually matters. And that was a big turning point for me. And that started heading me in this direction of, of energy, of food, of what it was such a dramatic shift for me to go from eating fast food to all home cooked meals, vegetables, pescatarian, that it's the, the physical effects kind of changed the way I saw the world. And so I guess heading off into college and heading out into quote unquote, the larger world, um, a lot of my focus shifted from what I was interested in, like mechanical engineering to more of how our bodies work and how do we, I don't want to use the word optimize, but how do we feel our best? How do we do our best while not sacrificing ourselves in the meantime, Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense? Yeah, no, totally. Um, Yeah, so I guess bleeding into ritual energy, the whole idea behind this was clean energy. It was, um, so for all of you who haven't heard of ritual energy, we make a bite-sized energy bar from simple and natural ingredients that actually has a whole cup of coffee in it. And the way we do that is we use a a green coffee bean extract to give it the same caffeine as coffee, but it tastes like peanuts and dark chocolate chips or coconut and toasted almonds. Um, So it's these incredibly fun little bites that the whole idea was to give you a portable, healthy, and tasty way to get caffeine all at once. And that idea kind of came from, um, I guess, just needing it myself. Uh, I'm looking for just easy ways to carry around caffeine with me. Growing up in Seattle, um, coffee was a big thing. So drinking coffee, carrying coffee, taking it with you. But after so many spills, not being able to bring it to lecture or on my bike or work, um, 
it just became very sort of, uh, not to say obvious, but I wanted something different. I wanted something almost with the convenience of an energy product, but that didn't have all the chemicals, all the synthetics, all the colorings that you get with a monster, fiber energy, a Red Bull, all that crap. So I just started making this kind of on my own. And then, um, yeah, kind of just blew out of proportion from there, I guess. That's awesome. And so you have two different flavors right now. Tell me a little bit about the flavors and how you landed um, on what you're offering. Sure. So the the main principle behind what we make is simple and natural. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to use as few ingredients as possible when we make these. So starting off peanuts and so it actually our first flavor was a chocolate hazelnut. Yeah. But as as so just for a little reference, we're sold all across the country now via Amazon, our website, and our main following is in the Southwest near to California. That's mm -hmm. where a lot of our distribution is, but we're growing that as fast as we can north and east. But our original flavor started as a, as a chocolate hazelnut. And that was just having grown up around food, having tried many different kinds of foods. Um, just a love of flavors kind of came out. And chocolate hazelnut, like Nutella, I was just really hot on at the time. But it came to be that buying whole hazelnuts, getting them organic, sourcing them was really expensive. And so really expensive and very difficult. There's like Oregon hazelnuts, for example, they have troubles with blight up there. So you can't get organic. Um, so finding a, a sources, then this was all a learning, uh, mind you. I, I didn't grow up with anyone in the food industry in my family. Just sort of exploring this area all on my own. Um, started learning more about how you source ingredients, where they come from. Um, sort of the stability of having vendors and backup vendors and the importance of that. And so part of it was peanut and chocolate was our first real sort of uh, mass market flavor. And that came from keeping it as simple and natural as possible, just dark chocolate chips, peanuts, dates, honey, vanilla, a um, little bit of sea salt, a little bit of vitamin C, and a, a little bit of that green caffeine, green coffee bean caffeine. Um, but the idea was was we wanted something that people enjoyed, but something that we could also supply, something that was also um, we could sell and not have to worry about it going out of season, you know? Mm -hmm. And then the next one, uh, coconut almond, that was just, honestly, that was a, that's a natural progression of the flavors that people were requesting. We actually, we turned to a lot of our, um, our regulars and the people who were following us. We sent out a bunch of different test flavors. We got pretty pretty creative with some of these and they came back that they want a coconut almond the most. So we ended up making that as their second flavor. And we've got a new flavor coming out in about a couple weeks, a pear almond tart. Ooh. And that one's going to be, yeah, that one I think is going to be a really, really good one. Um, but that has nutmeg, cinnamon, pears, toasted almonds. It's like, it's a really tasty thing. But all of these ingredients or all these flavors, are quote unquote bar flavors, have only about like six to nine ingredients in them and they're all whole foods they're all plant-based and um yeah nothing synthetic or weird about them and that was a really big thing for us which also made the, the formulation of it a lot harder mm -hmm. because we couldn't just throw in a thickener to dry it up we couldn't just throw in a preservative to make it shelf stable it took a lot of dialing in and actually over the course of even when I was just making it for myself it, it took years to get the recipe where we wanted that we could manufacture it ourselves which I think also an interesting tidbit, um, but also do it on a way that was still simple, natural, and tasty. I love that you mentioned, um, you know, growing up in Seattle and the massive coffee culture that there is there. I remember the first time that I 
Is it in Seattle? That was the very first thing that I noticed was how yes. <laughs> many coffee shops there were. Like, I remember telling my parents, I'm like, they're like gas stations. They're like every single corner, there's somewhere to get yep. coffee. Do you feel like there was um, a bit of educating your customer base as far as why this might be another alternative to um, a cup of coffee for, you know, especially coming from a culture that loves coffee so much? Yeah, well, absolutely. That's a great question. And just to clarify, so I actually grew up south of Seattle in Tacoma, but we'd spend a lot of time in Seattle. Mm -hmm. That whole area, the Pacific Northwest, I think just runs on caffeine. Sure, Um, yeah. But to to your question, absolutely. This is a completely different way of consuming caffeine, and it comes with a bunch of different benefits. Like just, I guess, for example, the whole experience is different. And I don't mean the consuming part of the drinking versus eating, Mm -hmm. but the actual feeling of the caffeine is different it's the food takes time to break down so it's almost like a slow release caffeine so it's much more gradual on and off and so what that means is some people may even forget that they ate one of these in the morning i've had people come back to me and say hey i just had an incredible day and i don't know why and then they think back oh i had a ritual in the morning it's not the you're starting to get shaky as you're finishing your cup sort of deal Mm -hmm. um but that's a constant education process. And the, the, the biggest thing we find is, uh, I guess, getting trial, getting people to try the thing. So we try as much as possible through farmer's markets, through samples, through giveaways, to get the product into people's hands. Because we really think it does speak for itself. And you have to eat it to really understand what's going on there. But the effect is completely different. For a lot of people, it may not necessarily replace that cup of coffee in the morning. And yeah. it has for a lot of people. So it definitely can. It's just there's a sort of attachment I think we have to that hot cup of coffee, that warm liquid in the morning to brew and make. We find a lot of people enjoy this either on the road as a second cup in their day, Mm -hmm. either around lunchtime or dessert right to lunch. Or especially if they have night shifts, um, keeping it on them, keeping it sort of as they work, as they move around, uh, something that you can't do with coffee. So it's a nice little mix up. But yeah, it's a constant education process. And honestly, I'd say probably one of our biggest hurdles is getting getting people to understand that. And it's hard to do that with just packaging alone. It's, it's really like just saying that it does something. Most people are pretty skeptical today. So really getting it into people's hands, having them try it. That's the biggest thing for us right now. Yeah. And on that note, you know, when you, you you mentioned that you started making these for yourself, when you were kind of researching the ingredients and the recipe initially, um, how, what did you learn about traditional energy bars or traditional coffee and how did you try to, to you know, kind of improve the, the composition of what you were making? Yes, great question. Um, well, to, without going into too much detail, there, there's sort of been an evolution in food. And I think mm-hmm. um, Power Bar is a great example of an early, early energy bar. It's like a brick. It's sort of an emulsified, you know, you, the Power Bars? Yeah, definitely. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, so kind of an early sort of prepackaged food. Although there are some Japanese renditions and some other brands that have come out with prepackaged, almost like meal-ready-to-eat things mm-hmm. before there has been an evolution in the United States of, of energy bars, of getting food on the go and how that looks. And so one of the major leaps, I'll, I'll just define it. I don't want to name too many names, but Cliff Bar is a big category in 
sort of that next evolution going from a power bar to another style of bar where they started putting real food in there. They mm-hmm. started putting oats. They started putting nuts, things that you could identify. It wasn't just a paste anymore. Yeah. It was a, a, it was a real food bar. But the thing is, is that they, one of their key ingredients, and you'll see this on, on the top of almost every Cliff bar and a lot of other protein bars or energy bars as well, quote unquote, um, is brown rice syrup. And one of the issues with that is that it brown rice syrup sits between like an 80 to 95 on the glycemic index, which I'm, I'm for those of you, that's like a, how quickly does the sugar get into your blood system or yeah. particular glucose. And so the one issue with that is that if you're not actively working that off, it is an incredible spike of sugar. It's a very rapid spike of sugar into your system. Mm-hmm. And so it's great if you're on a on the bike. If you're biking a long way, running, you're you're actively burning that off and you need an instant boost of energy. Awesome. Go with like, uh, go with pure glucose if you can. I mean, maybe not, but um, <laughs> something high on the glycemic index. But uh, for those sort of a more traditional lifestyle, if somebody's just eating it as a snack, that could be a big problem for their health. So there have been these evolutions and sorry, I'm kind of divulging. No, 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 but, go ahead. Um, yeah, but it's been interesting to see that energy, the trend in energy bar seems to be towards simpler natural foods. And so brown rice syrup was the binder in that next generation. And then kind bar came out with even bigger pieces, bigger nuts, um, gluing it together with even less syrups, but still using syrups. And then I think the next evolution is really going to be whole food bars. And you're seeing that more frequently as you go to, um, well, yeah, as you go to the grocery store, a lot of these bars are touting whole foods. Um, we use dates is what holds everything together. And that's how we avoid using syrups, thickeners, binders, things like that. Learning about caffeine and energy bars, there's a constant evolution in all of these. And caffeine, I think caffeine has been pretty consistent, um, sort of, it's been a part of American life for so long, but we started, and I say we, but I mean, um, I guess industry started experimenting with these different concoctions, these different, um, mixtures with caffeine, adding taurine, guana, ginseng, niacine, thiamine, B vitamins up the yin-yang, all these different things and creating kind of these nasty concoctions that are working all on your system in different ways. So you have that caffeine boost and then you have all these different, okay, B vitamins ramping up the metabolism. You've got these other vitamins, these other minerals doing other crazy stuff. And I think what we're seeing, at least what I started to see was that it, it was not good for us i mean this is pretty obvious if you see if you just even look up like death from energy drink you'll you'll find cases where people have overdosed and even died on these concoctions and so i think we were reaching this in food reaching this place where you know people are throwing stuff out there they think it's the next great thing but then realizing oh maybe the the formulation is getting a little too complex than more so than we understand at higher levels higher dosages or different situations and so i think in a big way, doing some of this research and, and building this for myself, a lot of the trend was back towards simpling things down, like mm-hmm. simplifying things. But also, uh, I guess the point of this was to keep that caffeine, keep that tried and true stimulant, for lack of a better word, in there without trying to gamble with all the other additives, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, totally. And on that note, I love that you mentioned um, kind of the evolution of using the syrups and now that they're, you know, we're seeing a trend of, of different binders that aren't so high on that glucose. Because one of the problems that I've had in the past with 
bars of all kinds. I know there's endless numbers of bars out there and I've tried so many yeah. different kinds of them is that a lot of the times they just leave me starving after, you know, it's like I might as well have not eaten anything. And that's typically why I've been kind of weary about them. And now I think that there's so many better options. Some as someone in this space and, you know, who's constantly evolving and using ingredients, what would you say consumers should be looking for when it comes to an option that is going to give them that energy, but isn't going to leave you like crashed or starving in an hour? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I mean, number one, ritual energy. No, but <laughs> selfless plug aside, yeah. um, looking for things that are lower on the glycemic index, I would say is a good, is a really good habit just because that the spike in sugar is not going to leave you energized an hour or two after. And then mm -hmm. part of that is, I think, I guess point two would be, um, well, and just for like form factor, the form in which we eat the food. Because I think everybody's bodies works, di they, they work differently. Uh, certain people work great on these certain things and others don't. And so I think, but being conscious of the form factor in which the food comes. And what I mean by that is, quick example, I think, I, I could be a little off on these numbers, but um, an orange, I think, is around like 40 to 45 on the glycemic index, meaning mm -hmm. the rate, that's the rate at which glucose hits your system or your, your blood. Um, but orange juice, like the juice from the same fruit, sits at around maybe 60 to 70 on the glycemic index. And yeah. the point I wanted to just bring up here in the form factor is the form in which we get our food matters, whether it's been juiced or pressed or squeezed or torn to pieces or extracted, these different processes, they affect what this food does in our body. And I think it's not a fix all, but paying attention to the foods that we eat and trying to get as close to its natural form as possible usually will tend you towards lower in the glycemic index on certain foods. Now that's like a potato is still way up there, but, um, whole foods close to its source minimally processed as well as lower in sugars and on the glycemic index um i guess those would be my recommendations i want to talk a little bit about your journey and the way that your passion for clean eating kind of grew from you touched a little bit upon that when we first started chatting um talk to me a little bit about how you initially got interested in clean eating and now that you are sort of immersed in this space, what do you think most people today get wrong about clean eating? Mm, mm, great question. Um, well, I think my first introduction to clean eating was actually in a lack thereof. Looking backwards, I think, although it, at the time, like just for example, as a middle schooler, I was about 180 pounds. I'm what? I'm six foot now and 185 pounds, mm -hmm. but, uh, it wasn't exactly uh, like I was super active, but I wasn't eating the best. And I think like looking back could easily look at that. Like, Oh, why didn't my parents like feed me better? All these things. But in, in actuality, I'm so grateful for having the opportunity of being exposed literally to the entire buffet of everything on the American diet. And I, mm -hmm. I did, I guess everything from sugary cereals to, uh, pop tarts to hot pockets to all the fast food to everything having had that at one point in my life it sort of it gave me a perspective of what like <laughs> what the body could really be in almost a negative way and it wasn't yeah. until my dad actually he was the one who sort of started 
I think, went through a bit of a health revolution on his own, had a wake-up call of his own, and kind of brought us along as a family. We started eating uh, vegetarian, um, well, pescatarian, mostly vegetarian. Um, so a little bit of fish, uh, no meats, um, cleaning up our diet, mostly plant-based, vegetable-based. And within the matter of, I think, just a year as a what middle schooler going into high school, I lost maybe 30 pounds. Wow. And I, I, yeah, I can't tell you just night and day on how I felt, the energy that I had, the sort of focus that I had, and just self-confidence from sure. not being the massive kid anymore. Yeah. Um, so it just, it really, having seen both sides of that, it really gave me a perspective and a shift of, I, I really never want to go back there. Mm-hmm. But I had to, in a way, had to experience that myself. I had to kind of reach a low, even though it wasn't necessarily 100% self-directed, I had to understand what could have happened right? or what could still be. And then that kind of drives me every day to, um, yeah, I guess continue this path. And, and you know, it's like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not at the best shape of my life right now, but it's, it's a constant sort of, it's something to constantly maintain good health, good fitness, good diet. It's something that we work on forever. It never ends. It's sort of, it's a constant battle. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that because it's true. It's not that you reach some certain weight or goal or, you know, energy level and then you're done. It's a constant constant yeah thing that you're working it's on. a constant commitment it's a sure. what do you think most people today get wrong about the idea of clean eating Ooh, ooh. okay this one is interesting um i think we especially as americans i think we eat too much with our minds okay and this is just from my own life my own observations and let me unpack that a little bit sure but and not to say that this is wrong, but I think we just, we, we found a hammer and now everything looks like a nail and I'll explain. Mm -hmm. I think we spend too much time or maybe mental energy around our macronutrients, our calories, our fat, our fiber, our sugars, all these things, and too much mental energy around, um, times of meals, for example. It's just sort of like thinking about nutrition. Mm -hmm. We are one of the most, like, I guess, nutrition oriented or like knowledgeable about nutrition nations in the world yet we still suffer from some of these nutrition related diseases yeah um um, so in i guess the antithesis not antithesis but the other side of that would be would be eating with your body rather than eating by thinking about nutrition and thinking about what's the best thing i should be putting into my body but true experimentation in how we feel when we eat uh, that's what I found to be the most helpful for me. And I think a lot of people around me could benefit from that as well. But taking the time when we have certain cravings, for example, and this is going to be maybe a strange example, but uh, when we have cravings, especially say, for example, uh, like those are, it's those cravings are emotional upwellings of sort of needs of our bodies. And not to say that if we crave chocolate ice cream, it means we need chocolate ice cream. Probably right. not. Yeah. But there's a, there's, I think, an underlying truth to some of those cravings that if we can tune into may help us make better food decisions. And that craving might be when actuality we've just trained ourselves when we feel this feeling to eat chocolate ice cream, when actuality might be an amino acid deficiency or protein deficiency. And then we reach for that thing or we've done that in the past and it's sort of semi-scratched that itch. So 
now all of a sudden we just keep moving forward with just, oh, okay, if I feel this feeling or if I'm feeling down, let's reach for the Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. No, not necessarily. But that these these cravings, these emotional upwellings, these sort of reactions from nutrients or lack thereof are, I think, an incredible roadmap for us to eat better for ourselves, not necessarily for other people, but to listen to our own bodies. But yeah, I think we don't eat as much with our bodies or pay attention or take the time to train ourselves to even feel those things. It's we're, we're eating, and I'm, I'm guilty of this sometimes too, we eat in front of our phones in front of the TV and it's like that process of when the food goes into our body to maybe even an hour or two later, we're not conscious of it. We're not paying attention to it enough. It's true, especially now that we're so consumed with our phones and technology. I think it's something that we all could definitely work on more. I have um, one final question before I want to shift gears into some sort of fun off-topic question. Sure. Um, what do you think, now that you're sort of immersed in this industry, and we talked a little bit about there being so much going on in today's food industry, it's a really exciting time, I think, um, for the industry. As someone who's sort of in the trenches um, as a business owner in this space, what do you think are both the most exciting and challenging things about being a food entrepreneur today? Great question. Um, I think I think one of the most exciting things, in a way, um, with how the world is shrinking with technology, is going to be the sourcing of new varieties and new types of foods. Whether it be like foods or fruits that would be sitting on our grocery, like uh, in the grocery aisle of your grocery store, or ingredients that will be part of other food products i think the our ability to find new ingredients to find things that are uh diverse different haven't been tried before i think it's like even for a small like a fairly small company like us we're able to source things and i guess shrink the gap between the growers and us yeah. and that's i think gonna it's gonna it's gonna make for a really interesting environment especially with as we're moving forward, as we're starting to see these um, these genetic diseases start to plague certain varieties of fruits and vegetation, it's our ability to source and find and cultivate and use and accept new varieties of plants, new varieties of foods is going to be critical for us, not only like surviving, but also just having an enjoyable life, having a variety in our day and have, being able to feed 8, 10, 15 billion people on this planet. So um, I think that's a very exciting piece. Difficult, I would say, just being in the trenches right now. I mean, really, if, as a food entrepreneur, it's whatever level you're at, it's the most difficult. But it's, it's like a layer cake. You, you, <laughs> you, have to, you have to tackle the problem that you have at, at the point. It could be you're developing your product. It could be uh, marketing it. It could be getting it out into the world, um, finding manufacturing. But I think uh, I would have to say probably – one of the biggest places where kind of a killer of companies in a way it's i guess twofold um distribution getting mm -hmm. distribution so you could have an incredible product you could have you could fully understand like oh this works for this kind of person and they're gonna like um, understand your clientele sorry i'm just using generalities here yeah. but you could have an incredible product and you could know exactly who you want to talk to but if you don't have a bridge or a channel or an avenue in which you can get that product to those people or way to talk to them, there's there's no like there's no hope in a way. So distribution is a huge, I think, barrier to entry in the larger food game, bigger than I think a lot of people, well, a lot bigger than I 
thought it was going to be heading into this. Um, and then I think the other piece is also once you get that distribution is making sure that the people who like your product know where to get it, know that they like it. So getting trial, getting people to try it, getting people to taste it, getting people interested and really getting into the stores to be able to yeah, have it. Definitely. And I feel like the more I ask that question, it, it tends to be, you know, a pain point for, for a lot of people. So, um, I'm glad to have the opportunity to, you know, talk about a lot of emerging and really cool concepts that are coming out of this space on the show. So it's one of the reasons why I am super excited about it. Yeah. And I guess just to clarify distribution for, it could be anything. It doesn't yeah. have to be necessarily, um, just traditional distribution to a grocery store, trucks delivering to a grocery yeah. store. It could be, I mean, getting getting the right audience traffic to your website to look mm -hmm. at your product and pick it up. Um, totally. it, it's really any form, but it's just how do you get it out there, physically, digitally, whatever. So Totally. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun. I have had a blast chatting with you and learning about ritual energy and talking food and coffee and caffeine with you. Before <laughs> we wrap up, I would love to do some sort of off-topic, rapid-fire style questions that I do with all my guests. Are you up for that? Boom. Go for it. Awesome. Okay, number one, what is the last movie or TV show that you watched? Okay, so not, well, does YouTube count? I yeah. don't really watch TV. That okay. <laughs> there are no rules Wong's, here, yes. <laughs> yeah, Wong's World. Have you heard of it? No, tell me about it. It's uh well I guess it's a it's not very politically correct. Okay. Just warning for you out there who might look it up. It's a subsection of munchies, which is a subsection or a category of vice. Okay. It's basically sort of exploring different cultures via food, and he's this uh, Eddie Huang or uh, yeah a guy featured in Fresh Off the Boat. Okay. He's just He is a he's a very interesting, funny character, and definitely not politically correct. If you're offended easily, definitely don't watch it. But it's just, it's a fun look into these different areas of the world through food, and bonding over food. And it's just, it's a fun watch. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, number two, if you could only eat three foods for the rest of your life, what would they be? Ooh. Uh, so, legumes of some sort. Okay. Or I guess, it, can, I, can I, like, different varieties or? Yeah. Uh, okay, definitely some sort of legumes, rice, and strawberries. Ooh, and that okay. just being, it's like beans and rice, complete vegan protein right there. And I would save strawberries for just the worst days when I would just devour those. Yeah, <laughs> those are good choices. My um, family is Cuban, so I have a very deep love for rice. And it yeah. goes with everything that, it's like a side to everything pretty much. So I think that's a good choice. Yeah, nice. Okay, number three, what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled? You know, I'm going to have to say British Columbia. And I think it's just having grown up really near there. We go up there, at least as a family, we went up there. Still go up there every year. And it's just with the expanses of wilderness, wildlife, um, ocean, salt water. It's just, it's an incredible place to be in nature with. Um, and then Vancouver is also just an incredible, some of the best Asian food I've ever had outside of Asia. So, uh, yeah, great food culture and incredible scenery. So. I love it. I love that you said that. Victoria uh, is one of my favorite places. I was blown yeah, away the Victoria's first time I went cool. there. I think it's one of the most stunning places I've ever seen in my life. It was beautiful. 
yeah, yeah, definitely better if you catch it on a sunny day. But yeah, for sure. I yeah. went. When did I visit? I think it was in August. So haven't gone up there when it's colder. But in August, it was wow. It was stunning. Beautiful. Nice. Okay, and number four. What's one thing most people would never guess about you? Oh gosh. Um, I think probably I I have a lot of different interests, like an incredible number of different interests. And I think people would just be surprised by, I don't know, kind of the breadth of all the interests. I don't know. Cool. <laughs> I like that answer. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, this has been so much fun. Again, I had a great time learning about ritual energy, and I think our listeners are really going to love your brand as well. If they want to check out more about ritual energy and learn more about you, where should they go? Yeah, so our website is a great place to learn more about us or connect with us. It's uh, ritualenergy.com, so R-I-T-U-A-L energy.com. You can also use that ritual energy on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're active on all those as well. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed this interview. If you want to check out more interviews in the Better Food Stories series, you can follow me at Audrea Greenhoff on Medium or visit audreagreenhoff.com. I'm also Audrea Greenhoff on Twitter and Instagram.